0: What an opportunity to worship the Lord, uh, you know, being able to be able to do that whether you're online or on site, uh, just powerful opportunities for us to connect to him. In the Declaration of Independence, it says these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of Happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are part of America's core values. The question, though, that we are on a journey to try to discover still today as a country is how? How do we find this life? How do we experience this liberty or this freedom? How do we find and experience this happiness? And what's fascinating is that uh, scientists have recently tracked, I wouldn't say recently, but 268 Harvard sophomores, they started following them in 1938 during the Great Depression. They hoped that a long-time study would reveal clues to leading to healthy and happy lives. So it became an 80-year study, the longest study you know, that America's put together from socioeconomic you know, understanding, trying to understand how do we find ourselves, through the course of an American life, healthy and happy. The surprising finding to the story, to which you can watch as a TED Talk just put in Harvard experience over the last 80 years, is our relationships... And how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health and happiness. This is not a Christian study. Taking care of your body is important. Tending to your relationships is a form of self-care that seems to lead to greater importance if you're actually trying to pursue happiness. In fact, they did all of these polls year after year after year with these different people, follow them all the way through their lives. Close relationships, more than money, more than fame, are what kept people happy throughout their lives, the study revealed. The ties, you know, that uh, protect people from life's discontents. It helps to delay mental and physical decline and are are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, than IQ, or even genes. That actually finding was proved true across the board, not just amongst these Harvard men, but also inner city participants, which showed it wasn't just because they were from or went to Harvard. In fact, when they gathered together, They met together with them when they were age 50, and it wasn't their middle-age cholesterol levels that predicted how they were going to grow old. What it was was how satisfied they were in relationships. The people who are most satisfied in their relationships at age 50, they found out 30 years later across the board were the healthiest at age 80. The research also found that marital satisfaction has a protective effect on people's mental health. Part of the study found that people who had happy marriages in their 80s reported that their moods didn't suffer even on the days when they experienced more physical pain. Those who had had unhappy marriages felt both more emotional and physical pain. Those who kept warm relationships went on to live longer and happier than the, those who are lonely. In fact, the loners died earlier. Loneliness kills. It's as powerful as smoking or alcoholism when they followed this study. These healthy relationships help their brain development as well. It's almost like Harvard caught up to what the Bible has been saying for centuries. And it's fascinating as these new revelations come out, they're like, oh my goodness, relationships are a key to health? Relationships are a key to happiness, joy, fulfillment, purpose, yes. In fact, let me say it this way. The pursuit of happiness is a pursuit of healthy relationships. If you are looking for happiness, you're not gonna find it in the way that our culture pushes it. You're gonna find it in the way that God models it. And that's why we're asking you to go with us on a journey through this relationship series, to get into groups, to talk with your families about what you're looking for and walking through and to commit to five straight weeks from this point on so that it can be helpful for you. These last 18 months have shown us we need as much help as we can get. We need to heal. We need to grieve. We need to go through a process. And you're not going to come out on the other side better than you came in if you try to do it alone. Now, that's easy to say. But relationships, (laughs) relationships are hard. I love what John said last week. If you want to have a good or great relationship, it's going to be something you actually have to work on. So it's not just going to happen by itself. In fact, he said God's provision... Plus, your effect will equal winning relationships. Our relationships, they don't run themselves. They don't just manufacture. They don't fix themselves. In fact, the natural trajectory or the natural you know, inclination is for it to decline over time. And yet the heart of the Bible, the heart of the gospel, the heart of the message of good news is all about relationships. So what we want to do is we want to spend this week as kind of an intro part two to why this series and why this subject is so important right now. Knowing how many people are struggling with mental and physical health. Knowing how many people are struggling with relationships. With people that they know, how many people that are in divisive relationships, ones that weren't divisive 18 months ago, but because of a political or a governmental or a mask, there's created a division where it's so easy to walk away from relationship. And we find ourselves, not just our country, we find ourselves at odd. We're at odds with people where we shouldn't be. And so how more important, how much more important is right now for us to really dive into this understanding of relationship? But in order to best understand it, we got to start with God. See, he's the one, this is the part that Harvard missed. He's the one that, that created relationships. It was his idea from the beginning. And there's two types of relationships that God wants us to experience on this side of eternity. First one is relationship with Him. You know the John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. He was willing. For the sake of relationship, to leave his place where he could have stayed and said, no, I'm going to come down and I'm going to live as you have lived. I'm going to walk as you have walked. I'm going to face everything that you're going to face. And I'm going to die in your and my place so that you might have relationship with me. That's what, that's what Steve was talking about. That's what we're, you're hearing you know, online as we, we talk about communion every single week. See, Jesus' method, his reason for coming, is as divine as his message. And when we accept Christ, there's a few things that happen. First, we encounter a deeper relationship with him than we can get through just reading something. We get him inside of us. It's called the Holy Spirit. So now we're in a relationship with Jesus on a regular basis. In fact, Matthew 6, verse 6 encourages us to develop this relationship on a regular basis, us and God. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. He wants to be in conversation with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to hear from you. In fact, you know one of the the great things we're going to go through as we go through the course of this year is you need to go back to the book of Psalms. Psalms is a phenomenal book. If you want to know where it is in your Bible, grab your Bible, grab it to the middle, and open it up, and you're going to hit a psalm. And as you go through the Psalms, you're going to see real stuff that David and many others are going through in a conversation that they're crying out and having with God in order to build this relationship. See, God wants to grow us, and he wants to help us become like him. And in, in fact, one of the things that most of us are aware of, if we've heard something called the Lord's Prayer. Right? The Lord's Prayer. I understand how intimate that prayer is because it starts with what? Our what? Our Father. That would be a big no-no in Jesus' day. That way is way too familiar. That's way too family-oriented. But God is saying, no, 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 I'm inviting you into this, into this relationship. Now, it's not just a relationship with God that he wants for us, but it's a relationship with others as well. In fact, this is going to sound funny to some of you, but me and God, or you and God, is not enough. It's not enough. You and God are not enough. God created the world. Go back to, <laughs> go back to Genesis, you know, uh, when God created, you know, the world. And, and you got these animals that are there. And you've got Adam. And you've got this Garden of Eden. And, and it's a perfect paradise. It's like Hawaii on steroids. And it's just pristine. And you got all of these animals. And everything is so great. Now, I get it. We love our pets. How many of you guys love your pets? Yeah, I love, I love my pet as well. We adore pets. We adore animals. In fact, um, you may have heard that, uh, this before, that, that uh, a dog is truly a man's best friend, and I can prove it. I can prove it. 100% prove it. Here's what you need to do. Take your spouse or your best friend along with your dog, lock them in your car, in the trunk for three hours, come back, open up the trunk, and see who's still happy to see you. <laughs> Proof. Man's best friend, right? It's a dog. That's what it is. what it is. And so we, we, we have elevated, you know, this like relationship with, with pets, you know, these days. And there's a place for them for sure. But if pets were the answer to our loneliness or our isolation, or if the pets were supposed to be elevated to the same status as human interactions and relationships, then Adam would have been just fine. There's no sin. All you got is the animals and you're walking and talking with God. And yet it's God who says in Genesis 2, it is not good for the man to be alone. Adam's like, what are you talking about? I got my dog, and I got my God. I can be dyslexic, and I got both at the same time. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. (laughs) I will make a helper who is just right. You know, it's a woman is created. And it's not that everybody is supposed to or has to be married. What he's saying is that he has hardwired us. That we're not to go through life just us and God. That we're supposed to go through life with other people or else you're going to miss half the reason that he has us here. In fact, just for a second, think of the greatest moments in your life. When you think of those moments, you will probably remember that there was other people that were there to celebrate those with you. It's hard to have the greatest moments in our life without realizing that there were other people who were involved. It could have been A birth of a child, it could have been an accomplishment. It could have been an activity. It could have been a celebration moment. It's just not as celebratory and as exciting if other people aren't there to share in that with you. And vice versa. Think of the hard times. Think of the hard moments in life. How much harder is it when you don't have other people to help carry and shoulder the burden or the angst or the pain or the suffering that you might be going through? See, allow me to take, or just for a second, to talk to some of you who are a little more high driven little type A's in the house, maybe a little bit more like myself. There's a huge difference between success and significance. See, you can be super successful in your career and not leave any lasting significance or meaning as you pass away. You can be super successful in your career and not leave any lasting significance or meaning in the lives of others. You see, your greatest achievement in life will most likely not be what you achieve, but who you raise. Or for those who don't have kids, who you invest in, who you impact. See, who you impact along the way, relationally, that's what makes life worth living. And as a byproduct, you find this contentment, this joy this happiness, the peace that surpasses all understanding. I was at a conference this week you know, in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville's crazy, man. You go downtown, there's some weird people. But um, that's a, I got so many stories. But uh, one of the things, I ran into a guy, and uh, the guy is named Dr. Leroy Lawson. Dr. Lawson was the president of the school that my wife and I attended uh, just a couple years ago. And uh, Uh, One of the things that uh, I found with him is he has as much joy and as much excitement, but as I saw him, my heart just reached out to him because I knew that it was Dr. Lawson who invited my dad to be an intern at his church in Indianapolis, and he was reminding me of that. And it was Dr. Lawson who actually co-taught a class at a Christian college called Milligan University in Johnson City, Tennessee with my grandfather. And it was Dr. Lawson, you know, uh, who came over to our house. And when I was 14 years of age, I'd never met the guy before. I sat down and he just took his hand and slapped me on the leg. Says, how you doing, young man? I never forgot that. Impact that we're making. But we went to that school. And I, I can just tell you this, is that because of the impact that he had on my dad, my dad's impact on me, and if I've made a difference in you or somebody else's life, you can see how it's happened relationally. It's just powerful to see that happen. See, here's the key. Healthy relationships take root in we and God. They're intertwined. How many of you, and put this in the chat as well, how many of you, you know, have heard of the greatest commandment? You guys have heard that, the greatest commandment? It's something that gets thrown out in churches, you know, from time to time. You find it in, in the three of the four gospels, and Mark's one of them in chapter 12. It says, and you must love the Lord your God. Here's the commandment. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength. Now, Jesus is talking to someone who's asking the question about the Old Testament, what's the most important commandment? So if you take your Bible, about three-fourths or four-fifths of the Bible is your Old Testament, and he asks him, he's like, all right, let's sum it up. What's the most important commandment? Whether it's given to him by a guy or the Pharisees are talking to there's a lot of different examples of this. And he says, this is the most important commandment, and notice how relational it is. It's different than all the other gods that are presented in the history of the world. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he says the second is equally as important as the first. Not the second is secondarily important, but the second is just as important as the first. The second says love your neighbor as yourself. See, no other commandment is greater than these. Now, I was talking to Steve and some other staff people a while ago, and, and I'm actually going to throw out maybe a little bit of controversy for these you Bible scholars, because I don't believe that there's only two of the greatest commandments. I believe there's a third. Only because Jesus is talking to a guy who's referring to the Old Testament. The New Testament has not come. Jesus has not been able to talk about and fulfill his commands that might change, alter, or enhance what has been said or talked about in the Old Testament. And so here we find... Another command of Jesus, when he's in his disciples in the upper room, about ready to go to the cross, and this is his command, and he says it's a new one. So he says, you've heard the other two, you know the old, the other two, but here's a new command. So let's call it the third greatest commandment. Hopefully I'm not struck dead by it. For Jesus says, love each other just as I have loved you. This is the new commandment. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Uh, That's not what I was taught when I grew up in church. My love of God is what proves to the world that I'm his disciples. My knowledge of God's word is what proves to the world that I'm his disciple. And those things are obviously critically important. Don't mishear me or mistake what I'm saying. But Jesus says, here's the other new great commandment. Love each other. In the way that I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love one another and the world's gonna take notice because it's something that the world needs. Doesn't our world need right now something different than what they're experiencing? Don't they need examples right now of how love and relationship and connection are supposed to cross boundaries and lines in order to follow what Jesus has called us to follow and who he's called us to be and do? That's what it's supposed to look like. This is the commandment. See, Christianity is a family relationship with God and other people. That's what it's about. John 1:12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You've heard me say this before. We are not all children of God. We are all created in the image of God. But only when you accept Christ are you adopted, you are bought, you have been paid for, you are now in the family of God. And we're going to be adopted into this new family. And for some of you, that is incredibly significant because your earthly families have not been so good. For some of you, it's just an enhancement on the great families that you have received. And that's okay as well. What a privilege to be a part of the family of God until you get into the family of God and realize actually there's some jacked up people in the family of God. And you're one of them. (laughs) And I'm chief among you. You call me Chief Jacked Up. No, that's fine. <laughs> see, see, there's some, <laughs> there's some people um, that you can, you can hear, you can see them on social media, who think, as long as I and God are good, I don't need to be involved in other relationships. In fact, I could just kind of come to church, something like this, I could watch online, and I can have my connection with God in that way, and I don't need to really talk to anybody else. I don't really need to engage. I don't really need to go deep with anyone else else. And yet, when you read the Bible, our maturity in Christ actually gets developed out of relationship with other people. That's where it gets tested. That's where it gets grown. That's where it gets enhanced. See, the problem is we can fool ourselves into thinking that as long as I'm good with God, then it doesn't matter because God forgives. You know those scriptures. God loves. God is the one who gives grace. So when I screw up, Sin comes into my life, and I go to God, God, please forgive me, and then I'm good, and then I walk away. But here's the problem. It's not what the Bible says. See, we cannot separate our connection with God with our connection with one another. Let me remind you just two quick, quick little passages. In Matthew chapter 5, this one always startles me. It says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice, this is Jesus' words, at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone else has something against you. Not that you have something against someone else. Somebody else has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Okay, that should stun us a little bit. See, God is prioritizing in this instance our connection, our relational connection with other people before our gift, before our sacrifice, before our worship of God in this instance. He says, as my kids, go work it out then come, then present, then worship. See how he's got it tied together? Oh, it gets harder. This one's, this one's really fun. Matthew 6, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Okay, Jesus, now you're going too far. Are you really saying that if I don't forgive That person for what they did. Jesus, do you know? Do you not remember? Can you not see what they did? They don't deserve forgiveness. Are you saying that if I don't forgive them, you will not forgive me? Exactly what he's saying. How important is relationship to God? As it pertains to relationship with one another. Uh, see, there are people. Maybe, maybe you're one of them who believe that Christianity is all a bunch about a bunch of rules. It's one of the reasons people want to be, be Christians. You know, they don't want to be a part of all this stuff. It kind of hinders the lack of freedom, something that holds us back from really enjoying ourselves. And let's be honest, sin is fun. If you don't believe sin is fun, you're not doing it right. That's the reality. Sin is fun. Otherwise, if it wasn't fun or if it wasn't enticing, we always like to make a, like, the sin is this bad, awful. No, it is fun. It is pleasurable. It is a high. It is all those things. Otherwise, people would not do it, including myself. But it does have a price to pay. And it gets to a point where it's not so fun. And you're realizing, oh, gosh, this is destructive. This is not helpful. This is hurtful. This is destroying me. And so what we realize is could it be that some of the rules of the Bible are actually there to help us in our relationships with one another and with God? That rules are just guardrails. <laughs> it's like putting you know, a fence around your house so your kid doesn't run into the street when they don't know what they should be doing. In fact, a lot of people look at the Ten Commandments. right? The Ten Commandments, a bunch of rules. I'm like, no, it's all about relationship. You shall have no other gods before me. You know what that does if you put other gods before God? Hurts relationship between you and God. Uh, Don't take the Lord's name in vain. What what happens? Hurts or hinders relationship. Hey, don't commit adultery. You guys know. Hurts relationship, doesn't it? Uh, Don't murder. Yeah, that hinders relationships, especially the person you killed. That's not that. they are going back from that one. That one, that one. that one destroys relationship. Don't envy, Hurt hinders relationship. And the list goes on and on. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Do you notice that it's relationship with God, lived out in relationship with other people, where we actually get to see if that's true in our lives? That's where it's lived out. The fruit of the Spirit is relational. Connecting with God and with other people. You want to learn patience? Be in relationship with anybody. Right? You want to learn self-control? Try not to comment on social media. It's about relationships. God gives us ways on how we grow. How How do we grow in these relationships? There's all these one another passages in the scriptures. He tells us how to do it. In fact, there's over a hundred of them in the New Testament alone. And approximately 59 of those are specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. So much of the New Testament at the core of community with Christ at the center is built around these things. So that our witness to the world can be felt and seen. These ones are like love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony, build one another up, accept one another, care for one another, serve, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth in love, be kind and compassionate, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another, and the list goes on and on and on. But then there's negative commands, how not to treat other people, don't lie to one another, stop passing judgment on one another, do not slander one another, do not grumble against each other. Doesn't this sound like A parent talking to a child about what to do or not do with your sibling right? or your friend. Aren't we the kids? And God is also helping us in this opportunity on a regular basis. So here's the thing. How do I get the strength to do all of those things that he's asked and he's commanded me to do? I can't do them. I can't will myself. To be these things, which is why I've got to be in relationship with God in order for me to be in relationship with you or for you to be in relationship with me. Because when you know me, I got issues, you got issues, and only God's going to help us in those issues and through those issues so that we can experience the health and happiness that he wants us to experience regardless of the circumstances around us. That's what he's calling us to be in and do. We mature as we grow in this. Matthew 18, 20 says, where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. We see, we see, show me any healthy relationship, any healthy relationship, and I will show you the boundaries or rules that keep it healthy. It's the way it is. That's what real freedom is, is having the option to not do those things, but actually submitting unto what we know is right and good And here's the coolest news of all. We talked about before as we take communion together. His grace and his mercies are new every day. I need that. And so do you. And here's one last thing as we kind of wrap up. Heaven is a perfect relationship that we're going to have with God and others forever. It's not just us and God. It's we and God. So we get to practice on this side of eternity. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe, people, and language standing before the front of the throne and before the lamb who is Jesus. What an opportunity we have to hone in these next five weeks and to walk through some principles that are based on God's design for relationship. how we can begin to apply. Are we going to get there? No, but we're going to be given some tools to take us on a journey, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're widowed. There's so many different angles to all this that we want to invite you on the journey. And maybe even more than that, I want to invite you to faith in Jesus Christ because you won't make it to the journey that Christ really wants you to experience apart from him. And when we're in those things, I'm going to invite you beyond our weekend service experience. To be like that's where it's gonna happen. That's where it's gonna take in your place in in your life, and it's gonna take place in mine. And I'm so excited to see what God's gonna do in our church as we put Him first, relationally and otherwise. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have just to be reminded of Your design for relationship. So, Father, may this be the foundation. Of everything we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks. Centered on you. Grounded on your word. Led by your spirit. And given us grace and truth in the midst of it all. God, if there's anybody here or online who's watching right now. Who wants to enter into your family through your son. I pray that you would pray this prayer in your own heart and mind after me. Jesus, I give you my life. I want to be part of your family. Both now and forevermore. God, all of us have made mistakes. All of us have have hurt relationships or been hurt by others in relationship. And I pray, Father, this would almost be a reset button, a way to heal, to grow, and to create the kind of church that can affect the community, which can affect the state and affect the country and affect the world because of the command to love one another in the way that you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.